From Pain to Purpose is a show that will bring inspiration, love, and healing to your lives. It's a show that will teach you that your trials and tribulations in life is only temporary and that it's only preparing you for your greatest calling. A show that will give you the courage to share your story with the world and not care what others may think or say. For your story is the key that will unlock someone else's prison. What was meant to kill you, God used it to prosper, restore, and strengthen you. To always remember that without pain, your purpose cannot be fulfilled into the power that God has ordained you to walk in. From Pain to Purpose by Aisha Monique. Stay tuned. Speak your truth. Hello and welcome to Pain to Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Aisha Monique. And today on the show, we have Miss Charity. Miss Charity is a mindfulness specialist and addiction counselor. Welcome to the show, Miss Charity. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as I'm talking, you're going to realize that I am not from Georgia. I am from Massachusetts, and for probably about the last 20 years, I've been living in the city of Boston. So I will have a really northern accent, a wicked Boston accent. (laughs) Um, So I am a mindfulness meditation specialist, Mm -hmm. and I'm also an addiction uh, counselor. So I've been working in addiction treatment for a long time, and I had my own practice of meditation and a lot of self-help and discovery of myself. And while I was in addiction treatment, I realized that this was part of a missing piece in addiction treatment. People really needed mindfulness a lot more than the than they were being taught. So I went back to school at a little school in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is right next to Harvard. I had to walk through Harvard to get to school. So I say I go to Harvard. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I got a master's degree in mindfulness studies there. And over the years, I've kind of made my way down here in Georgia. So now I work here in an addiction treatment program and I implement mindfulness and meditation to the clients that I have and it's really, they enjoy it and it's really successful and they find it to be a helpful tool for them in their treatment and their process of helping themselves get into recovery. And then for myself, I have a really deep practice of mindfulness and meditation and I have a page or a channel, a little business I'm trying to, you know, get online and everything called Meditating Together. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I have a YouTube channel where I have a bunch of meditations and I talk about mindfulness and how you can implement it into your life whether it's de-stressing, anxiety, how to do a lot of self-care. I promote a lot of self-care. So you can find me there for a little helpful hints and stuff. Okay, and and what are those uh, names for those pages? Um, On Facebook, it's Meditating Together. And on Instagram, it's at Meditating Together. And then on YouTube, it's Meditating Together on the YouTube channel. All righty. Well, you guys, you heard that. So check it out whenever you get a chance. Take us back to the moment when your pain first started, Miss Charity. Okay, so it was um, May 18th, 2016. I had just finished up a semester of my grad school and I treated myself to a Reiki session, ironically. I was cleansing myself from the semester. And as I was coming out of the appointment, I was walking down the stairs and I looked at my phone and I had a couple of different phone calls from a friend of mine who never calls me. Okay. So as soon as I saw that phone, then calls and everything, I looked, my heart just dropped because I knew something was wrong. And so I walked out of the building and I called him and he said, Paul's gone. 
And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Paul just shot himself. And I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. I said, Paul doesn't have a gun. He goes, Charity, he does. I just came from the house. The ambulance are on the way. He shot himself in the head. So there I am standing in the middle of Boston on Newbury Street. And it was like, I didn't believe it. I didn't. I went into the, nah, this is not true. And I just remember feeling like I was, everything was moving around me, but I wasn't moving. Everything just, the wind, everything just kind of got sucked out of me. And in Boston, you take public transportation everywhere. Okay. So I had to get on a bus and go back to where I lived. And the whole time I kept thinking, no, I'm just going to get off the bus and he's going to be there. I should back up with who Paul is. Paul was my boyfriend for the two and a half years before okay. um, all of this. So when I got into the neighborhood that we lived in, Southie, we didn't live together. He lived in an apartment behind me. But when I got to Southie, I got off the bus and I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I didn't know what, I just didn't know what to do. And it was weird thing is I just sat in my apartment and I went on Facebook and it sounds so stupid, but I looked at our neighborhood community post and I saw them say, what are all the ambulance doing in front of this particular apartment? And I knew it was Paul's apartment. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and I didn't know what to do. And I, then I walked out of my apartment and I saw his roommate. And I just looked at him, and I'm, this is, I'm gonna get emotional. I just looked at him, I go, I don't understand. And he's like, he's gone. And I just collapsed right there. And the pain and the tears, I've never cried like that before in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I still was so confused. I didn't believe it. I just kept thinking, he's going to be there. Mm -hmm. And I have, would say now, what, two and a half years, I'm a completely different person. Not completely different, okay. I shouldn't say that, but I am a much different person now because of that pain. Um, are you stronger now, or um, when you say you are a completely different person, could you elaborate? Yeah, so I think I thought I was a lot stronger, I guess, than I actually am. I'm a lot more emotional now because I walk around with such pain in me every single day. Mm -hmm. The pain isn't a pain that's gone away. It's mm -hmm. a pain that's gotten not so severe, mm -hmm. but it's a pain that constantly lives in me. Okay. And there's just, I never know when I'm going to get, that pain's going to come over me and I just break down and cry. I have obviously a job that I can't just cry all the time at. Um, so I hide, I hide it very well. There's times where I have to go into the bathroom and there's some days that I don't have that overwhelming. But one of the things with, when it came to like the early days of my grief, I cried constantly. Mm -hmm. And I allowed myself to cry and to feel every emotion. Thank you. Um, he had depression. I knew he had depression in our relationship, and it was what caused a lot of problems in our relationship. Okay. But one of the things I never thought he would do would do this. And people say, you know, suicide is a selfish disease. It can, it, I understand why they say that because of the people left behind, but part of my pain is 
knowing how much pain he was in alive, that he couldn't be here anymore. And that pain is just as painful as that he's gone. That people with depression walk around so much pain that they do this. So that pain I have for is a lot of his pain too, because I just, I thought I, I tried to help him and that's such a pain that you don't want to live anymore. So that's where I got a lot of, like I wasn't mad at him, um, but I just felt so horrible that he had, he lived with such pain as well. So for me, in my grief, I just felt the pain. I allowed myself to feel pain and it was horrible mm -hmm. and nothing could fill the pain and I tried. Mm -hmm. Food did not fill the pain. Substances did not fill the pain. And when I came to realize that nothing, but I just had to feel the pain and get through it. And I realized that the pain wasn't going to go away and that I had to just learn to live with the pain. Mm -hmm. um, what was, have you all, did you talk to him before that, before he committed? Yes. So uh, the last words, thank God, the last words I said to him mm -hmm. were um, Thursday night. Mm -hmm. I had my final paper due on Sunday. So I met him for drinks Thursday night at our local tavern. Mm -hmm. And it was our place. And that's where we met. And so we were there with a bunch of other people. And I said, uh, I got to go. I'm going to get you know up to, for work tomorrow. And he was didn't have to leave. So he was going to stay. Mm -hmm. And I gave him a big hug. And I said, I love you. Mm -hmm. And he said, you, you scare me. And I said, why do I scare you? Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I said, is it because I make you see of what a really good man you are? Because mm -hmm. I knew his depression made him feel like he wasn't worthy and mm -hmm. wasn't a good man. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I don't know, maybe. And I just looked at him and that was, I said, I love you. And I walked away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see him because he, um, He's a lob he was a captain of a lobster boat. Mm -hmm. So he would go out and catch lobsters and be gone. Like he'd leave at like three in the morning. And so mm -hmm. that weekend I was like, Hey, I gotta focus on this paper. It's my final paper and and I don't have any regrets of like, oh my gosh, maybe if I had yeah. seen him none of that comes up for me. Um I knew how much he loved me and I knew that I did everything I could to give him some peace in life so mm -hmm. I don't have any regrets like that um, so that's thankful so what what plays in your head the most is it the memories or is it more you feel that you could have been there more mm -hmm. with him dealing with his depression it was feeling the unconditional love that he had for me I've never felt somebody love me that much before so I miss that love I miss it so much. And when I look at his pictures, I just look at him, I'm like, God, that person loved me no matter what. I mean, I had one of those like vomiting diarrhea mm -hmm. kind of sicknesses and he was just like there, like mm -hmm. all the lined up stuff for my stomach and like took care, like it didn't matter. This mm -hmm. man loved me and I had never felt that much love from another person mm -hmm. and that's what I miss the most that someone loves me that much I mean my, I know my parents and family yes. do, but it's different than um that having a man 
love me that way. So I think that's what I miss the most with him. And how did you get to the point where you began to like cope with it? Because I know you mm-hmm. say you, I mean, it's yeah. a pain that won't right. go away, but how do you just yeah. cope with it to make you mm-hmm. at ease, at peace? Um, I know that it's, this is a pain that I have to have, um, I, but I also have a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. God put me here to do the work that I do. Um, I know that, you know, for the last nine, my work is a calling for the last nine years. As soon as I answered the calling that he gave me, uh, all these wonderful things have come into my life. So I know this is my purpose here. Um, so I know that even though the pain is really strong some days, that my purpose is here to help people. And I focus on that. Like, this is why I'm here, to help go to the jobs that I go to and be the counselor that I am and to deliver these messages around mindfulness and helping people. I know that's why God put me here. So that helps me a lot. (laughs) And do you think that God put that situation with Paul, do you think he put that in your life for you to... Mm -hmm realize your purpose well it made me realize I was getting stagnant in my purpose Mm -hmm. I was in the same job for five almost five years and I kept saying oh I need to move on but I wasn't moving on in my life other than yeah I was continuing my education but I wasn't moving on in my career and expanding and helping people and it's I hate saying it out loud, Mm -hmm. but I thank Paul at the same time that what has happened has happened because I wouldn't be here in Savannah Mm -hmm. and doing the job that I do now if it weren't for him. So what actually brought you here to Savannah? So when everything happened, my best friend lives here, Mm -hmm. and I'd always been coming down and visiting with her, so like I was here every other year visiting Mm -hmm. her. I love it down here. I always kept saying, oh, someday I'll move down there and stuff. And it was never happening. And like I said, I got very complacent in my life. And when this happened, I immediately, within like hours, called her. And she said, you're coming down here. So I, uh, she actually, her and her husband at the time um, flew me down right after the funeral. Mm -hmm. And I stayed for a week. And they really just... Because I wasn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't mm-hmm. do anything. Um, so she just fed me and made me go on walks and just let me, you know, do be in pain, but just kind of nurtured me. Mm-hmm. And after a week, I was just like, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, just come here. And when I got back to Boston, I spoke to my boss at the time, and I was like, I can't come back to work. I'm a counselor, right? How am I going to go yeah. and show up and be for people when I am mis- like just horrible? I can't do it. So I was able to take a short-term disability leave from mm-hmm. work, and I flew right back down here, mm-hmm. and I stayed here for f- almost five weeks. Okay. And during that time, I remember one day, I was out walking her dogs, and I was like, I don't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. Like, it was a fleeting moment of like, oh, I don't feel it. And so I was talking more about that experience with them, and they said, you just need to come and live with us. 
They said, come down here, live with us until you can get on your feet. They're like, you'll get a job, it'll be no problem. And, uh, but I had to finish up my internship for school. So when I went back, uh, I went back to work and it was not good. I wasn't able to be there for my people and all that stuff. So I finally was like, no, being in Boston was painful. Mm-hmm. I literally would stand at the buses and look for Paul. And anytime I like looked out the window or looked by the st- where we usually were would be, I would look for him. And I'm just like, this is just, it was killing me. It was just more painful. So I finally made the decision probably about early November. All right. And I booked my flight for January and I put my, what I could in a container, shipped it down and I moved here in January. And I was able to heal a bit better and deal with everything because I removed myself from the constant memories and just even, I remember, so that was January of 2017 and I went back for my graduation in May and even then, as soon as I got into my neighborhood, I felt this like darkness of just like heavy pain again and I remember I got a cup of coffee and I just sat on a bench and just watched and I love my neighborhood but it was painful to be there and so coming down here has been very helpful wow what advice could you give to those who maybe is on the edge of committing suicide or those who are dealing with depression Mm -hmm. those who's dealing with uh, death what advice could you give to those on how to maybe cope with their issues mm-hmm. I think with people with depression or thinking of suicide there is an another way I know depression I've experienced depression in myself and at a younger age it tells you really horrible things and it talks to you in a way it's like schizophrenia I I like equate it to it tells you these there's no other way that this is the only thing and it's not true and I really advise people if they do feel like that to please talk to their loved ones or somebody because I recently had another friend who had commit suicide and her family and her friends they're devastated and, and it's they, want, they would have done anything. Mm-hmm. And we will, I mean, I know I will do anything for somebody who feels that way and has that pain inside of them. There is another way, and that depression is lying to you, that there isn't another way. Wow. <laughs> I got a question for yes. you. Yes. Uh, being how that was, was that your first serious relationship, being how you was in college? No, no. It wasn't your first series. No, right? I'm 45. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, it's not my first serious relationship. Okay. So it sounds weird that this is an uh, unconditional love that I hadn't experienced. And that's, um, yeah, unfortunate that at, we started going together when I was probably about 42, maybe 41 or 42. Okay. And I hadn't experienced that unconditional love the way I had with him. Right. All the men before them, it was it wasn't That's what like. Saying. Got you. Mm-mm. Do you think that that situation with Paul affects your relationships with men now? Yeah. So that's my next um, thing. Well, so I did get involved with somebody when I first uh, came down. Not when I first got here. So a year ago, I got involved with somebody. We were together for a little while, and I, I was feeling really guilty when I first got involved with this person that 
um, I had to struggle in my mind of I, I thought I had to stop loving Paul to be able to be with somebody else. So I really struggled with that and then I um, talked to a friend of mine and and she told reminded me like I'm never gonna stop you know like they don't have to stop loving Paul to be with somebody else. So when I can kind of realize that I can still love Paul and be with somebody else, that's help like gonna help me move forward. Things didn't work out with that guy and that's okay, but I do wanna be able to find somebody else to move on. But I definitely I'm a lot more cautious now, um, just because I'm a lot more vulnerable now. A lot more vulnerable. And I think I one of the things with with Paul is I allowed myself to be vulnerably vulnerable and loved, and I hadn't done that before. So yeah, I'm, I'm vulnerable in way more ways now than yeah. ever. But um, yeah, so it's I'm scared because I'm afraid that when I do get involved with someone that I will stop loving Paul, and that's scary to me. Wow. So what do you look for? What signs do you look for now? in um relationships like do you do you look for to see if they have mental Mm, yeah mental health issues yeah um definitely mental health issues addiction issues because paul's definitely had his went hand in hand he Mm -hmm. definitely drank way too much a lot um but i he was feeding his uh depression i remember a time when i talked to him and i said why can't you just go, you know, without drinking? And he said, if I go more than two days, the pain is too much. Wow. So it goes hand in hand. So those are the signs of like, hey, what are they drinking? What's their moods like and stuff like that. Did you see any signs in Paul that night, the Mm. last time you all saw each other? No, not at all. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't really talk to anybody. I never really talked to anybody that was there at the bar afterwards. His best friend was there, and Pete, who's the one who called me, and Pete said to me, (laughs) Pete and Paul, they were so... (laughs) Um, Pete said that Paul did say to him, hey, man, because Pete was going out of town, too, for the weekend, and he said, hey, man, I love you, and Pete was like, yeah, I love you, too, and he's like, no, man, I really love you, and that's what... Pete didn't think anything of it at that time, but he's like, I think he had made that decision. So that's the only person I've talked to since mm-hmm. that you know there that night. Wow. Um, advice for those who have lost someone now, because like I said, a friend recently, I found out a friend of mine, and I've been talking with her um, family and stuff. And what I can say, the best thing for me was to allow myself to be in grief. What I learned through my grief is that society wants us to move on really quickly. Like, oh, there's your three days of bereavement. There's the burial. You're good now? And it's like, oh, no. Um, a lot, Especially when it's a traumatizing um, loss, whether it's an accident, a murder, anything like traumatizing, you're in shock for months before you even begin to start grieving. Um, So I highly recommend people to be kind to themselves, allow themselves to grieve, cry, be mad, allow every emotion to come through. Don't try to suppress it. Don't try to distract yourself from it. And I remember one time my supervisor, who I had at the time, 
ironically, my supervisor that I had at the time, she, her job before the job she had was with um, the Good Samaritans, which was a suicide prevention agency. So she was like my savior in all of this because she understood. But she said, I remember I walked, I went in to meet with her and she said, you're not going crazy. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I'm sure you think you're going crazy. I go, you're right. I do think I'm going crazy. And she's like, it's part of being in grief. You're not going crazy. So that's the other thing I tell people like, you're not going crazy. Your emotions are going to be all up and down. I remember just being pissed at some friends for them asking me how I'm doing. And I'm like, how do you think I'm doing? You know, like I was, and they're like, whoa, just how you doing? And I'm like, no. So, but allowing yourself to feel those things and not pushing yourself to be back to normal or to go back to your normal routine. Give yourself time as much time as you need. If you can take, I was very fortunate to be able to take short-term disability. And nowadays, companies have short-term disability and insurance agencies are really good to handing it out because of mental health issues. And mine was, my, my therapist was able saying, no, she is not mentally you know, well enough to be able to be in her position. And I was able, they even said, if you want, you can extend it longer. But I had to go back for uh, my internship and stuff. But I went back too soon. And I went back after six weeks. So, so my last question, when you get back, when you start um, feeling those emotions all over again from mm -hmm. Paul, how do you cope? Um, I remind myself of my purpose. Mm -hmm. I remind myself of why I'm here. I also am very spiritual, so I feel like he's around me all the time. And so I remember that I had a friend tell me, say, when you feel those emotions are a wave for Paul, it's because he's standing beside you. So I remind myself that he's with me and that I have to stay here for him. Uh, not for him, but for my purpose. And I have to deliver my purpose, and I know he's really proud of me. Pretty strong. Thank you. Um, I guess I got one more question. Yeah. If to to the listeners mm -hmm. that may be dealing with somebody who they're close to that you know has depression or anxiety issues, anything of that nature, like more so depression, but anything leading to more suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts, anything, is it any like signs that you can look for to say, okay, I might need to watch this person a little bit more closely, uh, reach out to this person? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say if you're isolating, or uh, if, they're, if they're isolating, if you know that they've had a depression or whatever, check in with them, just let them know. Even if it's just a text message of like, hey, I'm thinking of you, you know, you need anything, letting them know that you're aware of their patterns even, of their daily routines. Um, that was something that Paul definitely, and now looking back, I get it now. He kept me very separate from a lot of parts of his life, like his family. I never spent, never even met a lot of his family and stuff because we weren't able to, I wouldn't be able to communicate with him, with them about how dark his, you know, his depression was. He didn't have a normal schedule, so I didn't always know, or he would not respond to different text messages for like a day or so. So letting a person, if you know their routine, that you know their routine and stuff like that, if they start to show that they're not engaging enough and you think they might be really, you know, in depression. I actually was speaking to the uh, friend who passed away. Um, 
he said that he had someone go and check on her, you know, just because he knew that something was going on. So a lot, letting them know that you're there and you're worried about them. Sometimes they, because depression will tell you that they don't care. You don't, they don't need you, you know, and stuff like that. So just trying to make sure that you let them know that you are there, you're thinking of them, if they need you any time of the day. And there are some hotlines out there too that people, I don't know offhand, I know the Good Samaritans, um, I know it's out of, I don't know if it's out of Massachusetts or nationwide or something like that, but there's hotlines that people can call to get, you know, if they really think somebody is gonna be suicidal. And don't be afraid to tell the, ask the person, are you suicidal? Do you have a plan? Is there a plan in place? Because I didn't, I knew there were times where he may be suicidal, but I never thought he would actually do it. He had children. I didn't think he would do it. But what if they don't show any signs? Mm, that's the tricky one. Um, what do you mean? Like, the people know. Uh, if they if they have a way of suppressing their right. emotions and they are always happy on the outside and they may be dealing with something on the inside because I know um, one of my cousins, she had a, a, friend, a friend and her friend committed suicide, I believe, in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And she saw no signs. Right. She, she said she was always a happy person. Yes. And it shocked her when mm-hmm. she found that out. Mm-hmm. But... One of her Facebook posts or one of her pictures she had, it was always saying, be kind. You never know. What other people yeah, are going Yeah, what well, other people yes. are going to want that quote. Mm-hmm. But no one really paid attention right. to that. But she was always a happy person. So mm-hmm. for those who doesn't show the signs, like how can it's, you? Yeah, it's really hard. And I think it's trying to. So that's what everyone said about Paul. He's so happy. He's so happy. I was like, was he though? You know, like I felt very alone in it because I was so close to him. I knew, but I also am a counselor. So I look, I noticed the signs more and I would talk to him more. So it's really hard. I think the person who is the closest, whether it's a partner, um, maybe even a child, they're going to know it, but they're people who are depressed can be very good at masking it. Everyone thought Paul was a happy person. And I was like, no, he wasn't. So it's, I have no answer on how you can see the signs other than hopefully the person who's closest sees the signs and sometimes they're in like I was hiding those like mm-hmm. I felt very alone in the world even afterwards because everyone was like he's so happy I was like he was the most depressed person I ever really been around so because I know I felt uh, anxiety depression mm-hmm. I felt all of those emotions but I always walked around with a smile on my yeah. face and no one never knew mm-hmm. that I was going there. I had a few friends, you know, who kind of knew. But as far as my parents and my other friends, no one knew that I was going through that. But behind closed doors, you know, I was using substances mm-hmm. and trying to suppress my emotions and my pain. And, you know, I went had to go in and out the hospital. They were telling me I was having anxiety and panic attacks and things like that. But... No one knew. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a prime example. Yeah, exactly. We hide it because, and I think more people talk about having depression and anxiety, the more people are going to feel more comfortable with coming forth of saying, yes, I'm going through that as well. 
So we need to just keep talking about it so people yes. aren't so scared to talk about it when they do have it. Yes, ma'am. Well, I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. Can you plug your YouTube channel one more time? It's Meditating Together. Okay. I don't think there's any app or anything. It's just Meditating <laughs> Together. Yeah. Okay. So that's where all my... Um, I have a bunch of meditations there, but recently I just started trying to do some more. Like I posted that video last, uh, or I posted a, that post last night about de-stressing after work, but I've been making some videos of how to, little tips of how to de-stress and self-care. And that's one thing um, with, through my grief of one of my purposes is teaching people or talking about self-care is so important. Taking care of yourself because we are all going through some things. And the more we take care of ourselves, the better we're going to be able to be for others. But, be, you know, we will find ease the pain that we're all going through. Thank you. No problem. Until next time, Pain to Purpose podcast with Aisha Monique. Until next time, from Pain to Purpose podcast with Aisha Monique. You can find me on Facebook at Aisha Monique. And you can also find me on Instagram at underscore Aisha, A-I-S-H-A underscore Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E.